Many of the nation's school buildings are past their use-by dates. And it's not just wear and tear. Other problems like leaky classrooms and rapid roll growth have converged to create a multi-billion dollar building project. Insight investigates the property issues facing our schools. This classroom is one of 24,000 school buildings the Education Ministry owns. In total, they and the land they're on are worth $11.5 billion. But they're facing an unprecedented challenge. Some would say a perfect storm. Schools are in worse shape than previously thought. In addition, some big problems have struck at once. Population growth, leaky buildings, earthquake strengthening and fixing schools in the wake of the Canterbury earthquakes will cost the government billions of dollars. All this just a few years after an independent report said the Education Ministry wasn't up to the job of building new schools and managing school property. I'm John Gerritsen and in this insight I look at the scale of the problems schools face and what that will mean for how they're run. That's the sound of earth-moving equipment addressing one of the single most expensive property problems confronting the Education Ministry, building enough new schools to keep up with population growth in Auckland. Here in Flatbush in South Auckland next to me are diggers preparing the ground for a junior college that will sit between a secondary school that's been open for just a few years and a primary school that opened this year. Jerome Shepherd is the Ministry's Associate Deputy Secretary of Education Infrastructure. He says it's trying to stay one step ahead of Auckland's rapid expansion. Some of the figures that have been um, projected are the million by 2030. So that's a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of people and with all those people come a lot of students. Um, we're in growth areas like Flatbush. We've talked about the, you know, there's eight schools gone up here in such a recent time. Uh, we've got areas out to the west, north, south and inner suburbs where the role growth um, in schools is phenomenal. So it's really responding to that in a timely fashion that we're, we're, we're challenged with. Ministry documents say $1.3 billion is needed in the next 10 years to meet growing demand nationally and Auckland alone needs 450 more classrooms in that time. Jerome Shepherd says the government's given the green light for nine new schools in Auckland and the trick is to get them in the right place at the right time. While we can predict growth you know, in an area um, with, with you know, a reasonable degree of certainty, which is great, actually where they turn up, where the kids go, you know, there's lots of choice of going to school. So part of that is trying to make sure that we're aware, well aware of where the growth is at a school level and working closely with the principals and the community to make sure that we are um, well informed of those. So that is a real challenge for us. But we are, you know, we are doing it. I mean, we've, um, we've got 400-odd classrooms either designed or being built or uh, phases of the construction project right now in Auckland. So it's a big engine room of uh, development going on at the moment. Auckland's growth is not just happening in the new subdivisions around its fringes. Westmere School near Western Springs is 100 years old and has just completed a $10 million rebuild and renovation so it can cope with a booming role. The principal, Carolyn Marino, says the school thought it needed just a few new classrooms, but the ministry projected a lot more growth than that. 
basically every single building on the site has either been demolished and rebuilt or a brand new buildings have been put on. So the school went from needing seven classrooms to having uh, 17 demolished and uh, rebuilt. So yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about the fact that we had a chance to redevelop the school. But growth is not the only challenge facing school property. The Canterbury earthquakes of 2010 and 2011 resulted in a rebuild and reorganisation programme worth more than a billion dollars, some of it paid for by insurance. The earthquakes damage there also prompted checks of high-risk buildings right around the country. We're looking at the facade of the main block that was built in 1924 and what we're looking at is a steel frame that's been put up to hold the facade while the rest of the building is deconstructed. Sally Horton is the principal at Wellington East Girls College, where in 2011 the main building was found to be at just 17% of the building standard for quake resistance. That meant it was very likely to collapse in a big one. There was initially disagreement about how much strengthening was needed, and now the school is waiting to find out what sort of rebuild it will get. The process has taken um, longer than than the board imagined when we embarked on the master planning in 2012. We've just experienced our fourth winter in, um, in, a, in an environment where the girls and staff are moving around the site um, out of doors more than they, they would have in the past. At this stage, we are expecting um, a business case to go to, to Cabinet, um, but we don't have any firm time timelines about that. Wellington East Girls College is an extreme case, but it's not alone. The Ministry says it's about halfway through checking more than 2,000 potentially at-risk buildings in 1,000 schools. So far, the assessments and remedial work have cost about $26 million. But the true cost is higher than that, because a lot of the seismic strengthening is being paid for by schools themselves, from their regular property funding, something many are not happy about. Shaky classrooms are one problem, leaky ones are another. Well, this building's one that's been here since the 60s, and, uh, you know, there's a bucket still there. Yeah. The bucket's still there in the cloakroom. Uh, you can see the state of it. This whole ceiling's all leaking. And there's children actively in this room. Ellerslie School in Auckland is one of 30 classified as having complex property problems. It has old buildings that leak, and most of the school is in prefabs on its field, which also leak. In May, work started on a $10 million rebuild, but the principal, Chris Magna, says it's taken a long time to get there. Our journey is, has, has a happy ending, you know, and, and we're very pleased about that. And, and it is thanks to successive uh, boards, successive property people, and the Ministry, you know, getting on board once they had all the data and once we'd had the proven ducks in a line. But it's, you know, as I say, it's taken, uh, you know, me eight years of, of getting that. So our, we do have a happy ending. But meanwhile, there's cohorts of children going through our school who have never been anything else but a leaky prefab. The Education Ministry says it spent about $300 million assessing and fixing leaky buildings, with another billion dollars to come. 
and unlike Allersley, many of the leaky buildings that need fixing are relatively new, only 20 years old. So with roll growth, Christchurch, earthquake strengthening and weather tightness, schools are facing major property problems. But we're not finished yet. Many school buildings are simply old, with 60% built more than 40 years ago. We're a 50-year-old plus school. We're Nelson block design, so there are two-storey, 12-classroom blocks. Um, we were issued with two of those when the school was built. It um, was pretty much how schools were designed, I think. You've got a little modular approach. You can have one Nelson block, two Nelson blocks or three. Mike Williams is the principal of Pakaranga College in Auckland and on the executive of the Secondary Principals Association. He says Nelson Blocks, the two-storey buildings shaped like a capital I that are the heart of many secondary schools, are a source of frustration for principals. They don't fall down, they don't leak, um, very durable, but they probably had a 50-year lifespan. And they're still in our schools and they'll probably be here for another 50 years. My concerns with them is that they're very inefficient buildings. So they're inefficient around heating, cooling, lighting, air circulation. So all those basic design principles aren't there in them. Plus, we're very restrictive in how we can use them in terms of learning environments. They are ideal for what was happening 50 or 60 years ago. Single cells for groups of students. Now we want to be a little bit more flexible, a bit more innovative, and they are very hard to adapt. Mike Williams says many schools are altering old buildings like the Nelson blocks to create so-called modern learning environments that lend themselves to group work. He says that's not money well spent and the Education Ministry should help schools to do better. What is happening around the country is we are spending millions of dollars on these buildings and in some cases over a million dollars to make them nice shiny new Nelson blocks but they're still exactly the same structurally as they were and design-wise as they were in the beginning. Huge amount of money spent. Um, if you want to start changing how they operate internally and how they move, you're into even more money on them. And you could be spending a million, million and a half, two million. But fundamentally, you've got a block which was designed 60 years ago and was fit for purpose then. Um, it really makes you wonder, with a little bit extra money, you could have bowled it and built something fit for purpose. The drive for schools to have modern learning environments is an important part of the property picture. These are large open rooms that suit group work and the use of technology. They have smaller adjoining rooms and good soundproofing, and it seems that every school wants them. So there are a lot of demands on the government's school property spend, some urgent, others less so. Principals say they accept there's a limited pot of money, but they're unhappy with what they say are delays and cost-cutting driven by lack of funding. Yeah, so here are the, uh, the old, um, what we call PMC uh, buildings, which um, um, probably when they were built, um, they were looking at um, uh, 40, 50 years, and they're still here 50, 60 years later. So, um, um, Gus Cape is the caretaker at Tamata School in Havelock North, one of many in Hawke's Bay and Gisborne with what are known as portable modular classrooms, or PMCs. They're small, flat-roofed, single-storey classrooms with large sheets of cladding rather than weatherboards on the exterior. The local education board built about 200 of them 50 years ago, but in 2011 it was discovered they're not safe in a big earthquake. They had to dig um, uh, nearly two metres deep, uh, a trench, and then uh, put the poles in and fill that all up with concrete. And the same on the other side. Um, and then they put a um, steel post in, and then um, they connected 
through the building uh, the two poles so that the two uh, hold the building in, in place. Tomata's principal, Mike Bain, says schools and the local authority had expected the buildings would be replaced. But the ministry spent millions of dollars reinforcing the rooms with steel beams, and that's extended their lifespan by a further 25 years. It's all basically been handed back to us, um, and we've got to renovate or modernise or replace within our typical building structures and, and funding. So in reality, we're now at the position of putting lipstick on a pig. So they are over 40 years old, um, they're well past their use-by dates, but we're going to have to do the best we can because simply there isn't enough money in the pot to replace them. Mike Bain believes if there were not so many other property problems, the Ministry would have replaced the modular classrooms. The President of the Principals' Federation, Denise Torrey, says property is fast becoming the number one issue for its members, and she's written to the Education Ministry about it. We're seeing schools who are about to go into building often having their projects delayed um, and not really knowing the reason why, so we want some transparency around that. And there could be valid reasons, but the Ministry needs to tell us what those reasons are and needs to tell the whole sector. There are other uh, concerns around once you've got your piece of money, um, trying to build what you need to build for that piece of money is often difficult. For instance, we're all being encouraged to go into flexible learning environments and often what people are wanting and what their money can buy are two different things. So that causes um, consternation, as you can imagine. We've got issues like a recent one that's come up two or three times to us is that the Ministry wants schools to build on their playgrounds, listing the playground when the school wants to go up. Is, is that a money issue, is it because it's cheaper? I would imagine it is a money issue. Mike Williams from the Secondary Principals Association says the problems facing school property are significant and the government has to not only solve them, but solve them well. It's huge. It's sort of the perfect storm type scenario. The buildings are all ageing, should be replaced, but then we had Christchurch, the changes to all the building regulations, when we had big roll growth and a lot of schools being built, which related to all our leaky building problems, bang, they're all hitting us right here and now. Um, which means you've got three big issues to try and resolve, the money's just not going to go around. That's what we're being squeezed on now. And how important is it that the Ministry and the Government find, uh, find a way through, for, through it that, that is going to leave schools in a better, better position? It's critical. It's, it's the fundamental investment the Government makes is in young people. That's the future. So this investment has to be done properly. All of this is in the hands of a new-look infrastructure division at the Education Ministry. It was beefed up after an independent report three years ago found shortcomings and recommended the government set up an entirely new organisation to manage school property. Kim Shannon is the head of the ministry's new unit. She says it's taking a more hands-on role than in the past and has a much better understanding of the overall state of the school property portfolio. What we've done in the last three years is actually taken a much more active management of what's happening in school property. The very first thing we did was try to find out what is the condition of all of the buildings in our schools. So you can't really make any decisions unless you know what's what. So um, we did that and as a result of that we doubled the amount of capital spend that is going into schools. Three years ago it was about $450 million. now it's about 850 In fact, Kim Shannon says the Ministry is helping one in four schools with big property projects this year. But she isn't buying into the view that the convergence of so many different problems is a perfect storm. 
it's actually an opportunity. So what we've, what, instead of taking, um, looking at the property portfolio and saying there's a weather tightness issue here, there's a role growth over here, and the school have got this investment plan, we've said to schools, why don't we sit down and look at all of the issues at your school? Um, let's use the information we have that we've acquired through doing the condition assessments, and let's work out what the investment is required at your school over the next 10 years. So um, instead of being piecemeal, we've, we've been able to take an integrated approach, and I think that's better for the school and better for managing that asset over the long term. Kim Shannon denies the Principals Federation's allegation that the Ministry is cutting back the budgets on its builds. I think what has happened, and it's a bit of a legacy issue, is some of that design phase when um, they're the working with the community, people have got quite ambitious in terms of what they want at their school, and we've, when we've had to um, push back and say, no, look, a school of this size at this kind of role, it's roughly around this much, and, and the issue for us is um, in order to have enough money to be shared equitably around the country, we have to stick relatively closely to what a fair budget is for the, for the size of that school. She says the delays some schools say are dogging their works are normal, not the result of a bottleneck in funding for major projects. I share the frustration of local schools who, who are wanting to see things happen fast, but it does take a while. So in the first instance, we have to agree um, with the school and the local network this is the right thing to do to invest in this school. Once we've established that, that an investment's required there, we then need to develop a business case. So that usually takes about a good six months. We get um, investigative reports, geotech, what are we going to do, um, all the kind of questions um, around the network, is, how much is the role going to develop here. Once we've got a business case sorted out and we've got the funding approved, then we sit down with the school and we ask them, well, what's your educational brief? What are you trying to achieve here? Um, what kind of design do you want in your school that reflects the ethos and the pedagogy um, of the school? That takes another um, three to six months to work out and then we enter the design phase. So we go through three stages in the design phase ending with the detailed design phase and, um, and at that stage um, we then have to go out to procure um, and then the build starts. The build could take anywhere between 12 uh, months to two and a half years depending on how difficult it is. It's a bit like when you're renovating your home. By the time you thought that you want to do it till it's actually completed, a little bit of time's passed. And I think sometimes there, there is an expectation that as soon as we're, it's been agreed that, yes, it needs to go, the business case is going to happen in the next couple of months. No, there's still um, a few um, hurdles to go through. The Associate Education Minister responsible for school property is Nikki Kay. She says schools need to have faith that the Ministry has clear systems for deciding which schools get what work and when. We've got a program that looks at very clear criteria. It's very important that schools understand that because that's actually about, it cuts to the heart of the system in terms of absolute fairness. Um, and that's why you know we work through a criteria, we look at the condition property assessments, um, we look at leaky buildings, we look at structural issues and we have a whole lot of existing funds that help schools plan for the future. Nikki Kay says some schools might feel there's not enough money to go around, but over the next 10 years the government's property programme will leave schools in much better shape than they are now. There'll always be those schools that will look around the corner and they'll see a brand new building or they'll see something else, and it's, it's always getting down to the detail. So I'm always keen to hear those situations where schools feel that they're, um, you know, they may need um, more funding, but what I can say is we've got some pretty strong systems in place now. We've got $360 million in a leaky building programme and we've been spending um, a whole tens of millions more around earthquake strengthening. So we've got all these pots of money. I think the key thing in the future is to make sure 
that we have a system where the management of those assets is absolutely um, at a very high standard, and that means looking at other options for those communities that might not have that capability, but also getting to a very good baseline, and I think we are absolutely on that track. Nikki Kay says as well as spending more than ever before on school property, the Ministry and the Government are finding ways of making that spending go further. They include bulk buying of materials and contracts for building work, public-private partnerships for the construction and maintenance of new schools, and a new generation of prefabricated buildings that are expected to save $30 million in maintenance costs over their lifetime. The range and scale of school property problems have the potential to affect more than bricks and mortar. Principals say the scale of work and the money required are, or should be, raising questions about school zones, the future of underutilised schools, and the wisdom of putting so much property in the hands of school boards and principals. Ministry documents say schools need to be used more efficiently, and a key impediment to that is parental choice, parents choosing to send their children to a popular school and leaving another partially empty. Denise Torrey says zoning is key when it comes to figuring out how much property the Ministry will pay for. Our property comes from our uh, in-zone role um, and that's uh, in the past has been looked at but not as carefully as it could have been. So um, now that property is becoming a major issue and the money is limited of course, um, schools are going to have to reinforce and, and the Ministry is looking to enforce enrolment schemes. At the moment you can ship your kids over to the other side of the city to someone else's school uh, but that school doesn't get the property money from your child. Uh, and of course the local school loses the property money for that child. So the more money that's involved here, the more desire I think by the Ministry to start looking at how many kids should be at, at that school. And they're not going to pay for property for children who don't belong to that zone. That means some schools with a lot of out-of-zone students are getting a bit of a shock when they find out how many new buildings they're entitled to. The Secondary Principals Association's Mike Williams says the property crisis should initiate school closures and mergers that are arguably long overdue. We have too many schools um, and so we have a lot of infrastructure that is very badly utilised. Um, so in, in high growth areas, yes, we're having to build new classrooms, but there are classrooms all around the country that aren't used. We have schools that have very few students in them. Um, and it is very difficult to manage communities to look rationally at that property. So um, why isn't the government doing that? Why isn't the ministry doing that and, and closing those schools? Communities don't want to lose the resource they've got in their school. We saw that in Christchurch where there was an attempt to rationalise what was happening. Um, it probably wasn't handled the best, but certainly the backlash was terrible. Um, that very much synergy of not in my backyard. Yeah, there's some problems, but not here. Deal, deal to it someone else. We're keeping our school. But nationally, that's not sustainable. At Tomata School, Mike Bain is another who believes the scale of property problems should prompt some hard questions. You've got schools of under 100 that are spending a couple hundred thousand on you know, a new library or classroom modernisation or even a complete rebuild. Don't know that that's the best spend of the money. Now, I mean, I'm not advocating that we should have super schools where suddenly everyone goes, but when you've got multiple schools of you know, less than 50 kids, is that promoting the best educational outcome for kids? And not sure that we should just continue to rebuild the same box on the same location without considering some of the other options.
But Kim Shannon says it's not about property costs. Property is never the issue why you um, close down a school. That, that will always be educationally driven and it will always be about um, uh, the education needs of that community. If we're looking at spending millions of dollars on upgrading this school and fixing that school, if you only need two schools instead of three schools, wouldn't it be a really bad idea not to look at merging? As I said, that's driven by educational um, reasons. What we do from a property perspective, if there's more capacity at a school than they really need, we assist them to what we call rationalise that stock. We demolish some of the old buildings. We um, put in park-like uh, fields for the for the children. So um, that's the that's the kind of way property steps in to assist schools where they have many more classrooms than they actually need. <laughs> The current problems with buildings also raise questions about how schools are organised. The government gives schools $77 million a year for maintenance and a further $165 million a year for capital spending known as the five-year agreement or 5YA funding. The Education Ministry says that's sufficient, but some of the problems it's now fixing are schools that have not made the best use of the money. Chris Magna from Ellerslie School says too much responsibility for property lies in the hands of school principals and boards of trustees. He says a degree of local knowledge and input is important, but ultimately boards and principals are amateurs in charge of millions of dollars in bricks and mortar. We've made some decisions around property and, you know, hopefully if it's measured it works, but I guess there's a history around New Zealand of, you know, of, of blunders or, or just not enough information by a group of amateurs making serious property decisions. And I think that's been the case, I think that's been allowed. Nikki Kay says the government realises some schools don't want to manage their property or don't have the skills to do it well. She says it's considering a way of relieving them of some of that responsibility. One of the pilot projects that I've put in place is something called the Facilities Management Project. And that's about accepting that there may be a group of schools in the future that choose to um, effectively contract out that um, management of school property. And I think we need to have a look at that as an option for some schools um, who may not have that capability. Mike Bain from Tamata School says despite the complaints about property spending, the Education Ministry now has a good team working on the problems and the potential is there for significant improvement. Schools want it all today, there isn't the pool of money. So everyone has to be strategic in addressing it. You know, you've got to pick the eyes out of it and say, hey, classrooms are first, kids are first, let's make our classrooms match the delivery model that we want for education in New Zealand and let's build um, the skill set of those in the sector to do it. And whether it's working with principals or boards or upskilling project managers, if we, if we raise the capacity of that skill set, we'll get good outcomes for kids. You know, the quality of teaching in New Zealand is you know, world-leading, we just got to get the portfolio of property to match some of that. But the Principals Federation's Denise Torrey doubts the sums the government has allocated to resolving property problems will be enough. They've got a certain amount of money. They have assured us they're spending more money than they've ever spent before in property, and I believe that. But um, the, the needs of the sector are growing. When you put out there that, you know, children learn better in flexible learning environments, people want flexible learning environments. That takes money. At Pakaranga College, Mike Williams says the government and the ministry have to get it right. It's critical. It's, it's the fundamental investment the government makes as in young people. That's the future. So this investment has to be done properly. And I'm talking about investment in education, not investment in infrastructure. Uh, it's, it's investing in education, it's investing in young people and the experience they get in schooling. And, and how do you think they're doing? 
an achieve. Certainly not a merit or an excellence. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Teresa Cowie with technical production by Steve Burridge.